Welcome, my dearly beloved. This is Light Alchemy Podcast. Today, I want to share a very special conversation and informal interview with a friend of mine, a super talented artist who's also a member of the queer non-binary community, Bunny Luna. They have been exploring ecosexuality and they shared a little bit about this concept with me and it really resonated. And so I asked if they were willing to share that knowledge and they were. So I hope you enjoy this. I am welcoming onto the podcast my friend Bunny, who is an incredible artist. Um, I'd love to start with introducing you to everybody and, you know, just talking a little bit about who you are and what you do and that kind of stuff. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be a part of your wonderful podcast. I'm Bunny Luna. I am agender, which means I don't consider myself to have a gender at all. I was raised in the South, um, but have always been not very religious, more on the spiritual side, but definitely not into the religion part. Um, But living in the South has affected me. In terms of like the way I grew up, I've felt a lot of pressure to be a certain way. And over the years, throughout my art practice and my like self-healing practice have been able to um, really discover who I am underneath all of the like layers of stuff that society put on me as just like a person that lives in the United States, especially in the South. I am really big uh, into photography. I have modeled for several years. Um, I've held a lot of different jobs, but the thing that I come back to the most uh, is photography and visual art um, and being in my body and encouraging other people to be in their bodies and connecting to myself on like a sensual level and connection, connecting to nature on a sensual like body, like embodied kind of place. So that's been something that's been big for me is learning more about myself, seeing if I can come more into myself in terms of like not being constantly in my head, coming more into my body and seeing how much I can connect to nature and to other people. And that's always been the thing that's been most uh, rewarding for me and most, uh, the thing that I appreciate and enjoy the most. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So what different shapes does that connection take like what medium so photography is one of those mediums that you use to connect both to yourself to the earth and to other people what are some other mediums that you play with that facilitate that process Uh, I'm really love meditation um, and just like anything that I can do out in nature like hiking Um, I went paddle boarding yesterday Uh, (laughs) 
I really like even uh, even if I'm like in a city where I don't have a lot of access to nature, I really enjoy like finding whatever like patch of grass or random tree I can find to connect to or even like a house plant. Um, yeah, absolutely. But also like I have enjoyed even just like the like thought experiments or like, you know, being using my imagination to still connect me to nature and to the earth. Cause like, if you think about it, our bodies are essentially like earth, air, fire, and water. And we're all under the same sun and moon. We all have the same earth underneath our feet. So if you like really think about it and really like tune in to your body and to like, understanding what all is around you like you were never really disconnected from the earth or from each other because we're all here on the same earth so if you can connect to the earth then you can connect to everyone else so you use a mixture of like imagination and visualization using your own body as like a container for that even if you don't have the space to you know find a house plant or go hike a mountain or yeah like that. I love that. so it's always accessible yes that's really simple. I like so of course my favorite way to connect to the earth is to literally be like out in a forest or next to a waterfall like that's of course my favorite but I, I love just the knowing of being able to still connect with those things even if they're not accessible to me. And I love the idea of like someone who physically is not able to get to places like that. Like we could still look at pictures on the internet or look at videos. Like um, the National Park Service has free webcams at, on like several different national parks. So you can go on the internet and watch national parks live on the internet and you can still like connect that way even if it's not in person like you still can have that connection which yeah. I really love I didn't know that <laughs> check out this webcam that's very cool yeah awesome. so we both exist as non-binary people and I think that as far as the culture goes we're moving in the direction of accepting trans experience and the trans spectrum of being but I think that often non-binary and agender people get left out of the conversation because we're not transitioning from one end of the spectrum to the other. Mm -hmm. We're kind of existing in the gray area of the, of the middle, which is the hardest for people to swallow and accept. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your experience, like how you kind of developed this awareness, how you were able to sense that that there was this neutral truth of self like hovering somewhere inside like those layers of you know social training and you know indoctrination and you know how you were able to discover that and maybe a little bit of description that would like help people understand what it feels like to exist in that space sure thank you that's a great question um, I guess I'll start with like describing how I came to the understanding of myself in this age gender body that I have. And then after that, I'll go into you know, how, how I embody my gender. Um, so I was assigned female at birth 
and I was socialized as female. And up until I was 29 years old, I considered myself a woman because I didn't know that I had any other choice. I didn't know that there was anything else. Like I have a vulva, so that means I'm a woman according to society. Um, And it took, so I, I went through a separation with a partner of 10 years and that was really difficult, but it gave me the space to focus more on myself and to like be able to come more into myself and have more curiosity about the things that I had always just taken for granted about myself Mm. Um, instead of just like going with the flow, not questioning anything, you know, considering my partner as well in like most of my decisions. Um, I now had this like whole huge space of like, I don't have this like husband anymore. So where do, what do I want to fill that space with? So I took a trip across the country by myself in a van for 69 days. Um, I was basically like a nomad going from North Carolina all the way over to California up (laughs) and then back. Um, And in that time, I was able to, like, really realize that I truly have my own back and that I, there were a lot of things that I just, like, took for granted about myself that I never questioned that once I got back from my trip and I was spending time with my family again, I felt like I was able to finally question those things. And I had a conversation with my sister. We were walking around at a park. Um, most of my, like, big life realizations have been outside in nature. Who <laughs> would have thought? <laughs> no surprise there, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was, I was walking with my sister in the park, and we were just, like, talking. And I was, like, finally in a space to question, like, do I really consider myself a woman? Or is that just what has been expected of me my whole life? And I didn't know that I didn't have to carry the expectations. So we had a conversation about, like, who I've always been on the inside, you know, like, who who I was when I was a kid, who I was as a teenager, who I have been as an adult. Um, And I was finally in a place where I was ready to question, like, do I feel like womanhood embodies who I am? And having this conversation with my sister helps me realize, like, no, I'm, I don't consider myself a woman. Like, I'm, like, ready to not think of myself as that gender. Um, it also really helped that uh, I got really sick of my long hair on my trip and I had my mom shave it all off when I got home. And when I saw myself with really short hair, it made me, it helped me be able to look at myself in a different way. Mm. And I know that like long hair isn't inherently feminine, like just as like vulvas and and or penises aren't inherently feminine, you know, like no body part is inherently a gender or another, but like I had never had my hair this short before. 
And it also gave me the space to be like, what if I like think of myself as a man? What if I think of myself as uh, no gender at all? Like what, which gender expression feels more like the true person who Bunny is on the inside? Um, so that's kind of like how I got to this place. Um, I realized I've always been the same person. I've always been myself. Like if I had known about the gender spectrum when I was like six, I probably would have said like, I'm not a woman, I'm agender. You know, I probably yeah. would have claimed my gender that I currently have. Like, um, but it just, I didn't have the vocabulary for it. I didn't have the understanding of it. Um, and we don't see those role models anywhere. You don't, you know, yeah. especially as a kid, you only know what is possible based off of what you see. So if yeah. you don't see in, in TV shows, in music, in your family, if you don't see anything else represented, it's hard to imagine what is possible. Exactly. Yeah, there's no, there still isn't very much representation of non-binary identities um, in any media. Yeah, there's like still, even today in 2020, there's still not very much representation of non-binary identities in True, the mainstream yeah. media. Um, like we've seen a, a great surge of like a lot of powerful, inspirational uh, trans role models, and that's beautiful and amazing. Um, yeah. But I think it's important as the representation grows that we still continue to critique what gaps are there so that we can, yeah. you know, continue to move in the direction where, in, you know, I, I want a future where children are able to make these decisions for themselves, that we're not socializing them in such rigid ways and that we're letting them know what is possible yeah, so that they can, you know, be free to explore and, and find that truth earlier. Yes. Our generation, like, some of us figured it out soon, but a lot of us figured it out pretty late. Like, I only figured it out probably, I was, like, 24, and I'm about to turn 27, and I didn't even come out about it for, like, another two or three years, and I'm still kind of shy in some spaces about Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah, I I want to, like, name that it's okay. For anyone listening, I want to name that it's okay if you don't know yeah. something about yourself in terms of your gender or your sexuality because it's going to change over time, and that's okay. And just because you thought of yourself one way one day or one week or one year doesn't mean that that can't change. And yeah. um, I feel like people are so rigid with things and it would be beneficial to all of us to have more flexibility around these things because we're human. We just, we grow and change constantly, whether that's in our gender or our sexuality or our, the things that we know in terms of like, like skills, like we're all constantly changing. I didn't learn about myself being agender until I was 29. I'm 30 now. Like, <laughs> it's okay if it takes a little while for you to bloom. Yeah. 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 I love uh, that. I also I like what you what said you about, about, you know, you when know, you, you are, are in relationship to people, people who, have who have a rigid understanding, understanding of who you are, how sometimes you need to 
separate yourself from a situation where you occupy a role, whether that's yeah. husband, wife, daughter, mother, like whatever it is, sometimes this process of coming to understand yourself, you do really need to spend time in isolation, you know, not necessarily alone, but with nature and with yourself and, you know, in creating and in quietness and stillness, whether that's in meditation or, you know, taking a trip, you know, to explore by yourself and really feel like you can trust yourself so that when you have these sensations come up and you're ready to question, like, is that, wait, so this is who I've been living my life as, but is that who's at the core of me? Is that maybe only a part of who's at the core of me, you know? Yeah, I think we're taught to, like, not trust ourselves so much. Yeah, that you like need that time to like get connected to who you are and separate yourself from the roles that you play in life to be able to hear the answer to those questions like come through. Yes. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Thank you. Hmm. So recently it, you've been talking a lot about um ecosexuality as a way to describe not only the way that you understand yourself, but also like the possibilities that exist for everyone, like the possibilities that exist in the spectrum. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what that is and what it means to you and, you know, how it relates to the possibilities for everyone else in the world. Yes. I would love to talk about ecosexuality. Mm-hmm. I am obsessed. <laughs> um, so at first, I guess I'll start with how I learned about ecosexuality and then talk more about how it is a part of my life and how I understand it. Um, I first heard about ecosexuality through a friend of mine um, who is a model who travels a lot. Um, she goes by Kyoto Cat um, on social media. Um, she first sent me this link to an an essay by a person named Charles Eisenstein and it was called The Ecosexual Awakening and I read it and it completely blew my mind in like the best way Um, and that's like that essay is where I first heard about ecosexuality and what ecosexuality is is in like the most basic um, like description of it is um, seeing the earth as a lover and or a partner instead of as a resource to exploit. Mm. And for me, I've just done a lot of um, a lot of thinking around the topic and a, a lot of like mulling it over and like interjecting my understanding of gender and sexuality. Um, into my understanding of ecosexuality and um, there to me ecosexuality has the ability to include all gender expressions all like um, all sexualities in terms of like straight gay lesbian bi you know all of the all of the sexualities all of the um, like relationship styles, like monogamy, polyamory, solo polyamory, relationship anarchy, 
Um, and for me, it also like just I can I can look at almost anything in my life and see it through an ecosexual lens. Um, so like to give an example, like I'm gonna over the next couple months, I'm I've been doing these free YouTube live streams on Mondays. And over like June and July, I have like a whole list of topics that I'm going to go over. I'm going to talk about it with gender, attraction, sex, consent, relationships, society, spirituality, money. Um, so like to me, I can really like think about anything through an ecosexual lens. So um, one of the things that really made me feel comfortable using ecosexuality as like a description of my personal sexuality is being an agender person a lot of the like sexuality terms felt like not quite right to me because like gay is you know generally like men who love men lesbian is generally women who love women so like a lot I mean not all but a lot of the sexualities are kind of still really like gender based. And for me, ecosexuality, I mean, the earth is like earth and nature lends itself to variety and difference and like, you know, evolution and, you know, all of these things that like there is no rigid box in nature, basically. Yeah. There's, there's so much variety in nature. And so for me, Ecosexuality is able to hold like all identities and preferences within it. Um, so, for I guess like the for the sexual piece of it, I do want to name like a lot of people think you know ecosexuality. So, what do you like have sex with plants? You know, like, I've had people, like, kind of assume that. And yeah, I'm going to say some people, yes, some people do have sex with plants. Um, but I am also inviting everyone to um, reconsider what they think sex is. Because mm. our society usually has the definition of sex as, like, penis and vagina penetration. That's yeah, like or penetration kind of, in general. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's like the, the norm of what sex is according to society. And I would like to invite everyone to reconsider that definition into something more along the lines of any consensual, um, meaningful pleasure as mm. sex. I love that. Whether it's with just yourself or with other people or with plants or, you know, Anything that's consensual and meaningful and pleasurable to me is sex. I love that. That really <laughs> opens up the ability for everyone to be able to access intimacy, like regardless of what their, you know, physical limitations might be or their mental, emotional limitations. Um, you know, it kind of transcends all of these perceived barriers that we have around what we can how much pleasure we can access or how much we even deserve you know yeah. and how much connection is possible like it really seems to open things up 
where there's so much more possibility and so much more space for imagination. And I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it frees us from a lot of, um, a lot of the aspects of, let's say, queer sexuality and heterosexuality. Like, it kind of dissolves a lot of the spaces where they seem to conflict. Right. I think, like, yeah, it's so inclusive and so expansive that it almost it almost dissolves the binary. And I think that is really special. That's something I would personally like to see end, like, Yes. Like goodbye capitalism, goodbye binary thinking. Yes. We could do without both of those. Yes. Um, one thing that I learned recently that um, has been really on my mind a lot and I want to share it with everyone because I think it's so cool. Um, like I said earlier, you know how nature is like it's all about variety and difference and there you know there are no two things alike basically um nature also is really queer and is really like uh, (laughs) there there's this um this thing called bilateral dynandromorphism which i've become kind of obsessed about it's basically where there are creatures so um, they have examples of like um, crabs and birds and butterflies that are bilateral giant andromorphs, and that means that like literally you can see it. Half of their this one creature, half of this one creature is one gender, and the other half of it is the other. <gasps> That's amazing. Like, and Those are three of my favorite creatures. <laughs> Right? Yeah, and there's like lobsters. It's so, it's wild because especially you can see it the best in the butterflies because there's a lot of examples of them in butterflies. But you know how most butterflies, like like one gender of butterflies uh, is usually more colorful and bright and like a different size. And then the other gender is usually like not as colorful, usually smaller. So, and it's really interesting because it's one butterfly that half of it is male and half of it is female, you can really easily see the difference. And the wings are completely different. They're different sizes, different colors. It's amazing. That is really neat. (laughs) Gender is so queer. If we just look, I mean, if we just look to nature, we can see that, like, how could we have everything in humanity be super binary and super like rigid and boxed in when if we just look at nature as an example, nature's super queer. Yeah, for sure. And even like reimagining ourselves as part of nature, I think helps to give a sense of belonging and like understand our place in the world because even like, yes, so that happens in butterflies. It also happens in people. Like, yes. intersex people are a real thing. They're not that uncommon. It's just yes. that oftentimes doctors make decisions about how someone should live the rest of their life, you know, by removing, if they see or perceive mm-hmm. that this child is intersex, they often make a determination and just pick one instead of oh, allowing yeah. the child to, like, evolve into themselves, which is bizarre. And and even on a subtler level, like, I just found out, uh, I think it was last year, 
that I started seeing a doctor for because I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and hypothyroidism and you know and these sound like diagnoses and they are but you know when I started talking to my doctor they were essentially like yeah you know you don't really produce female hormones you you really only produce male hormones and I was like oh okay so that explains the mustache that explains like you know, all of these different things about my body that I didn't understand and that for the first, you know, 20 some years of my life, I was fighting against that I was like, you know, mutilating my skin to get rid of the hair that I was like, you know, doing all of these things to try and assimilate myself into this gendered world that didn't say it had space for me. Right. And then when I discovered like queerness, and I realized, like, that was like the final piece for me, like, the second that I got that information, I was like, I told you, I told you I've been like this my whole life. Like, it's not just the inner me, you know, like, also my body is like this. Yeah, so that was like really validating. And I love hearing that there are, you know, there are examples of this, like, not only in our own bodies, not only in our human kingdom, but also in like the natural world as a whole. It's just that maybe we don't understand them or we think it would be easier if it was like limited down to two, only two options. But the fact of the matter is it's not, <laughs> that's not simpler. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, asking people to perform and asking people to prescribe to a particular thing. Um, and I think it's just the overwhelming lie that that's all that's possible is what's most damaging, you know, because I think there definitely are some people who perceive themselves as men or perceive themselves as women and like are super comfy in that and, and love that. And I validate that yeah. also. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone should have to ascribe to that just so you don't make the mistake of saying ma'am when it's a sir or vice versa. You know, I think we need to get a little bit more comfortable with making mistakes and then correcting our yeah. behavior, you know? Like, I don't yeah. cry when someone calls me ma'am. I'm just like, hey, that's not, that doesn't really feel right for me. You can use my name, or you can use they, you know, or you can use these yeah. other options. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think people assume that every single person who has uh, a pronoun that is not something that, that, that the other person can like witness and anticipate that they're going to like freak out at them if they get it wrong. I don't <laughs> know where that came from, but like I've never freaked out on anybody. Even my, even my son gets misgendered all the time. People are always like, Oh, your daughter's so cute. And I'm like, actually his name is Ben. His name is Ben. Thank you. Like, <laughs> and then they get all like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like, it's fine. Sometimes he tells me not to correct them because he's, he's like, mom, I don't want them to get upset. I don't care. Like being called a girl isn't an insult to me. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> that feels like the biggest parenting win, you know? Yes. Yeah. I think um, I agree. We definitely need a lot more space for like making mistakes and not having it be the end of the world. I think maybe part of that um, might stem from our education system where like you have to study for tests and there's only one answer to the test and there's only one certain way that they're teaching you how to do something and if you don't 
Like if you figure out a different way to come to the same conclusion, like it can't be the right way because you didn't do it the same way as the teacher. Right. I like I feel like a lot of I don't know, just the systems in place Absolutely. in our country that like indoctrinate all of us into this black and white thinking and into this like really rigid like box us into certain things is definitely something that needs to be like reevaluated and um, updated to be more inclusive. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think that this um, this stay home order is, has really brought a lot of that up for people because just going along the lines of how you're describing the way that we're indoctrinated in schools, like you are, you perceive your worth to be your grades. You perceive your worth to be related to your productivity. You know, like that mm -hmm. idea of like perfectionism, that remnant of white supremacy where it doesn't matter how, you know, you had to do it the way that they told you. And it, you know, and if you imagined a new way to do it, that was wrong, right? Like, you know, if you, if you break the dress code and you look different or you act different, you're wrong, you know? And this idea of like that right-wrong dichotomy and like needing to, you know, push ourselves even pushing past our physical boundaries, like if you did sports, where they're like, you know, it doesn't matter if, if it hurts, like keep going, like all of those kinds of things lead us to a place where, God forbid, we have a couple of weeks to just live and just take care of our families and just be at home. Like people are losing their minds. They don't know what to do. Because yeah. we're like so used to, well, if I'm not producing, then like am I still valuable? Right. And like nature doesn't worry about that. Like nature just exists and does its thing and evolves and grows. And that's the value. Like it's intrinsically valuable. And I think that yeah. one of the other benefits of this is, hey, if you're a part of nature, you, you don't have to answer to anyone but your own evolution. You know, like that's your, yeah. that should be your purpose. That should be your goal. Like always looking for growth, always looking for moments of discovery and imagining what is possible and becoming that, you know, variable where you can, you can be diverse even within yourself and accept it in the outside world when it appears as, you know, whether it's in your environment or whether it's in your community. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I love that. This is so juicy. <laughs> okay. So I definitely, I want to save some time to talk about your craft. Um, and the creative process and all of that. Is there anything else that you want to share about ecosexuality? Um, we went over the basics of ecosexuality. Um, I would like to name that um, for me personally, a big part of ecosexuality is also the understanding that literally we are all connected, like we're all one big part of this global, like, world of life, basically. Um, and since we're all connected, the things that we each do individually have an impact on the whole, whether we have, like, a direct correlation to our actions and, you know, something happening. Um, even the small things that we do matter. Um, and I, I can't really talk about the things that we 
do and how it impacts other people without also talking about like capitalism, white supremacy, racism, patriarchy, uh, colonialism, yeah. <laughs> all of these things. Like for me, part of ecosexuality is like really having an understanding that we're all connected and that we all influence each other and yes there are some systems in place in this world that do not work for us and part of my personal ecosexuality is understanding the things that are not working and like realizing what they are realizing my part in that so that then I can make decisions going forward that I'm not contributing to it, that I'm working to help dismantle it. I love that. I love that. So ecosexuality as an invitation to decolonize your actions in everyday life, you know, and really develop a deep awareness around how these indoctrinated programming is affecting our actions so we can separate ourselves from that and rather than mm -hmm. perpetuating it dismantle it like you said I love that yeah because I mean there's if we don't first acknowledge what's wrong then we can't turn it towards what is right like right if we Absolutely. don't have any understanding of like the things that are going wrong then we can't make any changes about it like we are if we don't realize this thing is not working then we're going to continually be stuck in this thing that's not working yeah so I think I, I think a part of why we're here in this moment in time and, you know, our society is because there's been so many people who have thought like, oh, well, that doesn't really affect me. Mm. That just affects those other people. Well, right. those other people are also a part of me because we all exist here on the same planet and we're all made of the same thing. Yes. And even though things don't affect me directly, they still affect me because they affect the people around me. Right. So And acknowledging uh, yourself as a connected part means that that suffering is also shared. That suffering, you know, like we are, yeah. if we're sharing each other's joy and we're sharing each other's uh, pleasure, then we're also sharing each other's grief and suffering and, yeah. you know, and so it, it lends itself to action. Like, yeah. and I, I love that aspect of it. It lends itself to growth to acceptance, to action, yeah. and all of these things that, that are keys or modalities or avenues toward liberation and toward a revolution in, in ourselves and as a collective. Yes. Yeah, that's super powerful. Awesome. Yeah. So one of the other things that I think is an avenue for liberation and freedom on a individual and global scale is definitely art and creativity and reconnecting to these things that capitalism has tried to convince us are useless or don't serve a function. Um, so why don't you share a little bit about the mediums of art that you create in and, you know, what, how that maybe connects with that mission of ecosexuality, like how does that, or even the development of gender and identity, like how do those mediums or how does creativity play into those evolutions? Awesome question. Um, 
So the medium of art that I prefer is photography. Um, I occasionally model for other people, um, but I really started photography with self-portraits, um, and that's something that I still do a lot. Um, photography and self-portraiture for me is a way to like connect to myself, connect to my emotions, connect to my body in a way that's like not rigid and not any like there are no expectations on me if I'm taking self-portraits. Like, I don't have to adhere to someone else's idea of what they want to see from me. So I'm able to explore how I'm feeling or what I want to portray in my photos. Um, whether or not I feel like that's a part of myself that I'm expressing or, like, just a feeling that I want to get out. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like through self-portraiture, I've been able to, like, connect more to myself connect more to nature, and um, be more in a space of curiosity and exploration instead of, like, being really, like, in my head about, you know, what is this thing going to look like, and how do I make this do this thing, or, um, you know, so for, self-portraiture for me is really, like, playful and, um, it's for me over like over the summer when I was on my trip, I took a lot of self portraits, like a lot. And so I like <laughs> thank you. Um the I kind of like evolved my self portraiture practice a little bit over the summer because I was challenged by the constraints that I had. Um because I was in a lot of national and state parks and there was a very good chance that other people might walk up and see me naked running around with a camera. So <laughs> I usually would do um, 35 millimeter film self-portraits and to shoot a roll of a whole roll of film self-portraits like a 36 exposure roll usually would take me at least an hour. Um, but I knew I probably wouldn't have an hour to, like, be meandering around in, you know, nature where other people might find me. So um, I started using my digital camera instead, which I hadn't really used digital for self-portraits much at all because I just love film so much. But with my digital camera, I can take 50 self-portraits in two minutes. Right. Two, like T-W-O, two minutes. <laughs> Um, and so that, um, that allowed me to like expand and explore the way that I take self-portraits, um, because with film you can be more like calculated and, and, um, like specific about the way that you want to look because you have the time in between each photo to like think about what you want to do next. Yeah. But when I started when I started taking these 50 photos in two minutes with an interval timer on my digital camera, it would take a picture and then either like two or three seconds later take another picture and then just continue. It would be like picture, picture, picture. So I would like go. It it became like a dance for me. I would mm. I would start the camera and I would get in front of it and then I would get into my body and start moving and then continue moving. 
And like just before I knew it, the camera stopped and I was still moving. I was like, oh, okay, I need to start it again. Like, <laughs> but it became like instead of a like what pose do I want to do next? Okay, I'm going to do this pose. And then I like have my hand or my foot in a certain way. Like instead of being really like thoughtful about it, it was more like it turned more into like a ritual for me. It was like, okay, I'm going to get into my body. I'm going to see how I feel in this space. I'm going to like, what movement feels good? How, like, how can I convey this emotion that I have right now through my body and like connect that to the earth that is literally underneath my bare feet. And how do I like right now, maybe I feel really free. So maybe I'll just like fling my arms out and like spin around or and so it just, it felt really freeing and it allowed me to like really come into my body and out of my head, which has been something that I've really been focusing on a lot over the last like year, year and a half is like, let's get out of my head and more into my body because I know my body is always talking to me and like our instincts and our intuition, we speak like we are connected to our instincts and intuition through our bodies, not through our minds. Yeah. So if I'm going to connect to my intuition, then I need to also connect with my body so that I can reach that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Embodiment is something that I think we don't have a lot of access to. And yeah. it's really special to be able to find a way to not only get deep into the body and really hearing the sensations and paying attention to what and receiving the information that's coming through, but also to do that while being able to witness yourself. Yeah. Cause like, you know, like it's one thing like, yeah, we can, we can just go out into a field and we can just dance and then it's sort of, and then it's sort of out of you, you know, and it feels good to be empty like that. Like I love that after feeling, Yeah. but I think it's especially, powerful to have a container that then we can look back and witness the self and be like oh yeah I did feel that emotion coming through and holy shit you can really see it like yeah. oh that's the shape I take when I'm feeling that like it really develops your your self-awareness your body awareness like you know all that kind of thing I think since I started self-portraits I all of a sudden notice like I'll catch how I'm feeling based on my body language before I feel the feeling, if that makes sense. Oh, wow, yeah. Like, oh, I notice I'm really collapsed in this room. Like, my chest is just, you know, my shoulders are rolled forward. I'm kind of guarding my heart. Like, what's that about? Am I feeling afraid? Like, oh, you know what? I was intimidated by that person for no literal reason. Let me just sit back and breathe for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I think it gives us a little bit of distance so that we can respond to our environment rather than just reacting instinctually. Yeah. You know, I really like understanding, oh, I'm feeling this, but why am I feeling this? Where is it coming from? Instead of being like, uh oh, I'm feeling this and I don't want to feel it, bottle away, you know, which is not productive. Great. Yeah. I think I think self portraiture for all of those reasons is amazing, but also because it allows us to have the space to maybe have like question, um, question gender and sexuality things and be able to explore that within ourselves 
in a place that's safe that doesn't have any like effect on other people. Um, I mean, it could if you invited them to join you in that practice, but it's like a safe place for you to explore different feelings within yourself um, and like allow yourself to have the space to like question it and maybe embody it. And if that's not the thing that feels right for you, you can just leave it in those pictures. Like you can just leave it in that experience and you don't have to carry it with you. But if it's something that like, wow, your whole body like tingles and like you just feel like this is who I am and like, okay, you know how that feels. And then you can move toward the rest of your life with that knowing of who you are. Yeah, yeah. I think authenticity is something that is really difficult because when you are around other people, everyone has expectations. Everyone forms assumptions. It's just natural. It's like what our our brain does, right? It's just, it's always analyzing the environment and trying to figure out what is safe, what's not safe. Like that's the function that it performs. And I think Oftentimes, especially with people that we care about, when they form an opinion of us to explore other ways of being or other elements of our identity, sometimes almost feels like betrayal yeah. to that other person. Like you're betraying yeah. their idea of you. Yeah. And, you know, and so self-portraiture frees you from that. Like you said, there's no one's expectations. There's only yeah. yourself. So if you try something on and you're like, oh, this feels really good, like you figure out what your yes feels like in your body and then you're like, Mm -hmm. you know what, I want to take this with me and I want to live with this, that's just as powerful as trying something on and being like, you know what, this doesn't feel right actually, you know, and then you get to leave it and no one ever needs to feel, you know, weird about, because, you know, that's something that I think especially non-binary people will run up against because so many, like you said earlier, so many sexual orientations include in their definition something about where the person's coming from, not just who they're attracted to. Yeah. Like, can I be gay if I'm non-binary? I don't know if that's, if that's appropriate, if that language makes sense. So, you know, having the freedom to not come from a particular direction and not make someone feel a certain type of way. Because let's say I'm trying on myself as a man and someone who I'm in love with sees me as a woman. Well, now they feel confused because if they still love me, now are they gay? Because I tried on being a man, you know? Like there's a lot of of fear around when we're trying on these new identities, who are we going to lose? Or, Mm -hmm. you know... Who will we upset or hurt, you know, in this process? Because our self-discovery, we're related to everything around us, everything in our lives. So who we are may affect the way that other people around us who care about us understand ourselves, which can be a beautiful freeing thing and can also be something that's scary and requires change and requires adaptation and and hard conversations. Yeah. Um, Because... To become something new, you do have to leave something behind. Yeah. And I don't know that it's always like, oh, you have to leave everything behind. Like, I'm not one of those person that, you know, if someone calls me my birth name, I'm like, you know, putting up the cross, like, ah, 
get away from me. Like, don't ever say that. Like, I'm not necessarily offended by my past. I'm not ashamed of who I was and who brought, you know, because that person got me to being who I am now. Yeah. You know, and we're all kind of far away from our authenticity at different points in our lives. And the point is that we're all trying to find our way back. Yeah. And I think that uh, things like eco-sexuality, things like self-portraiture, um, and queer community and the creative process in general really gives us permission to explore those things and live in a place where we don't have to fear failure, where that's yeah. just part of the discovery process. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I love, like, you use the word curiosity. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like, get curious about who you are. Get curious about the way that you show up in the world and, you know, and maybe your medium isn't self-portraiture. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's dancing. Like, you know, there's all of these different mediums available, but focusing on the experience, what it means to you, what it feels like, rather than like, am I going to produce a, an art object at the end of this process that will be accepted by society, you know? Right. Which gets in our way and prevents us from even starting. Like, I would never draw if I thought I had to be good at it every time. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not a good drawer, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> That's the only part that matters, really. Are you enjoying what you're doing? Like, yeah. even, if, even if I could, like, paint the most amazing picture, if I didn't enjoy it, then it wouldn't be really worth doing. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's another remnant of that capitalist indoctrination right like worrying yeah. about if the art object is going to be palatable to the audience like if I can make money from this thing that the only way that it's right. like worthy of anything is if I can monetize it right instead of like did it feel good did it bring me pleasure like did I learn yeah. something even if it didn't yeah. bring me pleasure maybe it was uncomfortable but I still learned yes. yeah super important I love that. And I want to just touch on a little bit. We haven't spoken about the gatherings that you do. Oh. And I just want to touch a little bit on that and um, give people the opportunity to find where you are on the Internet and get in contact with you or admire your work, get involved in the things you're doing. So if you want to share a little bit about that. Thank you. Um, so the gatherings that I do um, – I love doing nude gatherings. I've done three or four of them already. Um, I, I basically just like invite a bunch of people, some that I know, some that I don't, to a place where we have the ability to be nude together in a group where it's safe um, and come together as like a mini community. We get to know each other, sit in a circle, introduce ourselves, um, talk about, you know, whatever comes up for us at that time, things that we are hoping to get out of the event, things that were um, like if we have any boundaries around things. Um, and we just, they're all different. Every event is very different, but in all of them, we are connecting with each other. We are pretty much all of us are nude. We're um, being vulnerable with each other and um, having 
trust, we're, we're trusting in one another that we're going to be able to have this connection in a safe way um, and be nude in a non-sexual way. And it's focused, like all of the events are focused around art and connection, basically. So um, there's pretty much always someone taking photos, whether that's me or someone else. Um, and usually by the end, we'll um, come together as like a big group and everyone will be nude in some way. Like, And so far, most of them will have like some kind of like cuddle pile or like group like, you know, connection, connective way that we're all like posing together in a big group at the end. Um, and of course, like consent is extremely important. We never want anyone to be uncomfortable or feel like they have to do something that they don't want to do. Um, so there's a lot of communication that goes on, a lot of um, just like trusting that if someone has a need that they'll speak up about it um, and trusting that if someone says something that we're going to respect their needs and wants and boundaries. Um, so those have been really amazing. Uh, usually people come, they may or may not have ever modeled, they may or may not have ever taken photos, but they always leave saying like, wow, I learned so much, I had such a great time. Like, um, almost always people stay in touch afterwards, um, either with me or with other people from my group or both. Um, they've been really wonderful and amazing. And um, trying to figure out how to get them online since we're kind of all under lockdown. Um, that's the hard part is because to me it's so powerful when we can come together in person. Um, but I think, I think we'll be able to do something almost as good online because we can still connect with each other. We can still create art together um, online, you know, with these video chat softwares. It's really wonderful that we can still, I mean, we live in 2020 and there's so much technology here for us. So I think that is super wonderful and we can, uh, so we're working on figuring out a way to take these events online. Um, yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah. But um, I, if you, anybody listening, if they want to stay in touch with me, um, I have a website, bunnyluna.com. Um, I have information on the nude gatherings there. Uh, you can connect me, like you can email me through there. Um, I have a whole bunch of free content on there, like resources and blogs and um, a bunch of nude photos. And um, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, it's at bunny underscore Luna underscore. Uh, my original account got deleted, so this is my second account. <laughs> yes. As you know, Instagram loves to delete anybody who is not cishet, super yeah. white and skinny. Like that's their that's their mo. Yeah. Um, Hoping so I, to see some software that is more inclusive and not owned by Facebook soon. Yeah, I'm totally ready for that. <laughs> so uh, I do. Um, a, a live um, a live stream every Monday on my YouTube channel. Um, it's, there's always different topics that I talk about. Um, and every Thursday I do um, a live video gathering um, for members of my website. And we usually like go more in depth from the Monday topic. 
So I have, there's, I'm online every Monday and Thursday at least for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I like, I also on Mondays on my Instagram, I do discounted um, Oracle readings. Um, and I also, I've had several people who have like purchased an Oracle reading for themselves and then they'll like donate extra money so that I can do free readings for other people. Um, so that's oh, been really cool. wonderful. Yeah, I've really uh, been enjoying doing that. People seem to be getting a lot out of those. So I'm uh, doing those every Monday on my Instagram too. I love that. I love that. I love hearing the ways in which you're really going out of your way to serve your community and help people cope with the disconnection that they may be feeling right now because, you know, being isolated, not being able to gather, um, even in families, is is really hard. Um, yeah. And rather than sitting in, you know, our our grief and stewing over the fact that we may never get back to the, the what was normal, you know, looking for ways to adapt and still get that collaboration, still get that creativity, still be learning and, you know, forming community is really powerful and really important. So I want to yeah. thank you for giving those opportunities to everybody. I think that's really special. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on here. I hope that y'all go check out Bunny's work. They're an incredible creator and a wonderful space holder. And I am very lucky to have met them. Thank you so much. It's been a complete honor to be able to be on your wonderful podcast. I love um, listening to the episodes whenever they come out. There, uh, I love how you just include so many different things, but it's all like, uh, like encouraging of creativity and understanding of yourself and like coming home to your body. Um, ah. So yeah, I just, I love it. <laughs> I love that description. Thank you so much. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I will talk to you again soon. I hope y'all will be joining Bunny on those live streams. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I will be sharing a whole bunch of resources related to our conversation today through my email list. You can join that by going to my website. It's completely free. Uh, a little pop-up will come up and ask you for your email. And if it doesn't, you can always shoot me an email and I'll add you on there. It's free information and reflections, usually about once a month. And that website is www.lioralay.com. You can also support me by subscribing to Patreon, where I share behind-the-scenes uncut interviews and audios from the podcast, all different kinds of video creations, immersive erotic poems, photography, and even songs now, since that's a thing that I started to do and I'm experimenting with recording these outside with the nature sounds let me know if that's absolutely unbearable <laughs> I love you so much